Blog Talk Radio. All right, good afternoon, everybody. This is Paragon O'Farrell, and joining me today is a special guest. You've heard her before. Uh, I have Valerie joining me today. Say hi, Valerie. Hi, it's Valerie Cine Bienemy now. Valerie Cine Bienemy as of when? Yesterday. Officially, but uh, <laughs> should have been done a long time ago. Um, this is the Paragon, the Paragon Hour. If you didn't know, my name is Paragon. I'll be your main host. And today we're going to do a show on a favorite book of mine called The Miseducation of the Negro by Carter Goodwin Woodson or Carter G. Woodson. Uh, So this is the Paragon Hour where everyone is welcome and free to express themselves. Um, And like I said, uh, this is the book review section of my show where I review certain books which I felt are important or influential. And uh, Valerie was kind and gracious to catch up on the Miseducation of the Negro. Uh, we were able to find it online. There's an audio version. And the written version is now free online. You can go Google it and you'll be able to read it. As always, I try to incorporate a, a word of the day uh, into the program. And that way uh, you get smarter as you you listen to the broadcast. And today's word of the day is provided to us via dictionary.com. That word is ersatz. That's E-R-S-A-T-Z, ersatz. And that means being a substitute or imitation. The reason why I think that this is important is because, you know, I think it's fun to kind of like learn new words and incorporate it into our vocabulary. So let me give you the definition of ersatz. Ersatz is an adjective, and it means being a substitute or imitation. So that's being a substitute or imitation. And basically the fun part of the show is that myself or the guest or any callers are free to uh, call in, you know, and use the word of the day, which, you know, will make it fun. You get to learn a new word and proceed. If you wish to call in, the number is... One six one nine three nine three six four two five. Again, the guest calling number is one six one nine three nine three six four two five. This show is being done courtesy of Block Talk Radio, which is a wonderful format for people like us who wish to express ourselves. And uh, you can join us on the chat outlet as well, uh, which we're waiting for anybody to join us at this time. Uh, right now, obviously, the show is pretty new, so if there's not too many people joining us live, that's okay because we're going to build up our fan base. So, Valerie, how are you doing today? Good. Are you ready? Definitely. Nervous? Not today. Did you uh, enjoy reading the book or listening to it? Uh, enjoy not quite the word. Um, I would say yes, I liked it. it. It brought some things to you know to my attention which I thought was very interesting. It enlightened me, and it made a lot of light bulbs go off. So I guess I could say, yes, I enjoyed the book. Okay, good. Um, as customary, this I'm going to give you a little bit of the history of the topic. Um, I was introduced to the book uh, when I was probably like in my early 20s, and I think it was because I went to a, a local black bookstore 
And then I stumbled upon the book, and I I bought it because at the time I was uh, in a stage where I was trying to, you know, promote black businesses. And uh, so I paid for the book and read it, and it changed my life because I didn't realize how much of the topics were relevant today. And um, I started to see a lot of the the things that the book was talking about in my everyday life uh, in 2001, 2, or 3, whenever that was. Uh, so... I think this is book. This book should be read by everybody, especially the targeted audience, which are so, the so-called Negro. And as opposed to other books that we read in high school, in middle school, uh, this book has you know like some real life relevance. So, what what books do you remember reading in in middle school and in high school, and and which ones had impacts on you, and which ones were complete waste of your time? <laughs> I can't remember the complete waste of time because you like erase that from the memory bank. <laughs> But I remember, I think it was Knight. I can't remember the author's name. Eddie right Wiesel. Uh, Breath Eyes Memory. That was ninth grade. Wow. Um, some other books I can't remember right now. So you told me that some books are banned by the school system? Oh, yeah, definitely. Would you think that this book would be banned by the school system? Yes. Why? <laughs> Just using the word Negro, there's some... Um, some terminology in there that is that will be uncomfortable for a teacher to give out to kids. The parents might not approve, most likely will not approve of that. Is the language of the book uh, too hard for high school students? <laughs> As a teacher, um, you put me in a tough spot. I would say yes, it is, and only because of the fact that I think that you know the school system is kind of messed up right now, and they're not pushing the kids. As much as they should, so it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult. I would equate it to like reading Shakespeare. Okay, uh, some more notes on the history of the topic. Uh, Carter G. Woodson is a uh, renowned educator. He's a bit of a maverick, uh, but he's famous f- amongst other things for setting up Black Negro History Week, which became Black History Month. So that's why we have Black History Month, uh, mostly because of his efforts. Uh, he's very big on education, as I am. And when I speak to Value, we talk about education of people. We've seen some of that taking place as we visit uh, North Miami Senior High School and seeing the state of, of being. And we're seeing, like, a lot of the things that we learned being played out right in front of us, and it's pretty sad. Shocking. It's shocking, as she said. So that's the relevance of today. But before we tell people about the topic um, I feel like they have to read the book because like, whenever I try to talk to people about certain points that were made in the book, it's kind of like you need to have that common uh, education and, and understanding. So if the people never read the book, then what I'm talking to them is kind of like Chinese. So uh, recently I, I got value caught up on things. Like I said, the book is available free online, which is a wonderful resource. We did an additional step, which was buying the book the audio version of the book, so we listened to it and we read it. You know, it's a it's a relatively small book, and uh, so what were your impressions on the book? Um, <clears throat> my impressions on the book. Well, at first it was depressing. And it was very enlightening. It brought a lot of things. Like even though the book was written, you know, in, what was it, the 1930s? Yes. It was written in the 1930s, but everything that he had to say is very current. To today, and everything he said 
is still happening right now. So it, it depressed me in the sense that I feel like we haven't progressed. We, as a people, as black people, as Negroes, we, we're, we've, we're basically stagnant. We haven't made much improvement. And I was just, as I was reading the chapters, I was just trying to think of, you know, progress that we have made, and I could come up with only a few things, and most of it had to do with the media, like entertainment, the entertainment industry. So that kind of frustrated me. But overall, the book is, I think everyone should should read that book. I'm going to recommend it to my family as soon as possible, and I've told a few friends about it. So it's a good book. It's a must-read. And Oprah needs to put it on her list. Yeah, Oprah, you know, she has the golden touch. Like I said, compared to the books that I've read in middle school and high school, let me name some of the ones I remember. In middle school, I remember reading The K. I don't know if you read that one. It's the one with the the blind white boy that got saved by the 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 old um old black guy. He had white hair. And then in high school, I remember reading Night by Ellie Wiesel. I read uh, uh was it Bad Girls uh, in Brooklyn. You know the ones in Brooklyn. I read uh I heard that you know I Am the Cheese was read. To Kill a Mockingbird, some very classic American books, but no, none of them really resonated with the students I felt. Um, you know, I wanted to read uh, the Aldous Huxley book, uh, the one about the the the, the future. Yeah. Oh man! But uh, th- this book uh, by Carter G. Woodson should be read because a lot of the kids are of that class. They're Negroes for the most part, or minorities, whatever you want to call them whether they're Hispanic or white, you know, in the inner city where we come from, supposedly, I think that they they would enjoy the book because you can see the relevance. Because I tell Valerie all the time that a a good teacher is able to show the student why they're um, learning the things that they're reading. A lot of students don't enjoy reading for the sake of reading. A lot of people just tailor their education as like um, a way to get results via tests or whatever, so they don't enjoy developing their mind. Having said that, um, I'm going to read a quote that's probably the most famous quote from the book uh, by Carter G. Woodson. It kind of like captures the spirit of the book, and it goes like this. Quote, if you can control a man's thinking, you don't have to worry about his actions. If you can determine what a man thinks, you do not have to worry about what he will do. If you can make a man believe that he is inferior, you don't have to compel him to seek an inferior status. He will do so without being told. And if you can make a man believe that he is justly an outcast, you don't have to order him to the back door. He will go to the back door on his own. And if there is no back door, the very nature of the man will demand that you build one. Nothing that captures the mind state of a lot of people. And frankly, that was kind of like my mind state. Before I read the book, I thought I was progressive. I thought I was educated, but after I read the book, I realized that I was still a slave in my mind. And, and you know, like people need to have that mirror put up to their face mm-hmm. so that they can understand the seriousness of it all. I felt the same way. When you go to different places uh, in New York, we went in New York, we saw like the large projects, and of course we have projects down here where we live. You know, you can see some physical what some people might call slavery, which is not fair compared to our ancestors. Mm -hmm. But that quote talks about a mental type of slavery, and it talks about the education aspect. And 
we see what's going on with education right now, and our governor is talking about cutting back on education, and our education system is already not the best in the world, so all these things are relevant today. But having said that, the book was written in the 30s. Uh, what, what were some of the things that you wrote down in your notes and that you noticed? Um, well, I have a couple of things. The first thing is a quote that I wrote down that really get, you know, had an impact on me immediately. It says, if the Negro in the ghetto must eternally be fed by the hand that pushes him into the ghetto, he will have become strong. <clears throat> he, sorry, he will have become strong enough to get out. He will never. Basically, the whole gist of it is that you have to free yourself from that. You have to become independent and think of your own way to to take care of yourself. That's the way I interpret it. Sorry, I my handwriting. I can't even read my own chicken scratch. But basically, it's saying that you know for. For people like, I always think about the ghetto, about Overtown in Miami, and I think of the people there, how they're always stuck there and their children stay stuck there. And it's because, you know, they're taking um, the welfare, they're taking, you know, um, they're taking government assistance for such a long period of time that they don't, they they become like um, used to it. They'll take that mediocrity and they won't advance and say, okay, I'll take it for a year until I find this job, until I get in this place, until I advance myself and teach my kids how to better themselves. You know, they're kind of stuck, um, you know, with the hand of the oppressor and they're not even realizing it. They're, and they're transferring it to their kids too. So who is the oppressor? <laughs> well, I, from the book, it's clearly saying it's the white man. And the white man started it when he brought us here as slaves, and it's still trickled down. It's not as clear and evident now in the 21st century, um, but it's still there. You know, same thing as um, being Haitian-American. I can see with, you know, my Haitian people, we still have the same slave mentality, and we're not uplifting each other. We're not. And I'm, I'm like, to blame for that, too, because I kind of think for myself and, you know, the book helped me to realize that you can't do that. You have to think as a community, and you've said that before. You have to think as a as a whole and incorporate everyone with you and lift everyone with you instead of, you know, as a, as black people, we only think of ourselves and we think of bettering ourselves and we leave our other all our people behind. When you think of white people, they try to, you know, they empower themselves and then they bring everybody else with them. So that had a, a big impact on me. Okay, uh, what about the black people who are educated? What what did Carter G. Woodson talk about in that book? Uh, that part, I will, just for that sole reason, he kept talking about the, the educated Negro, highly educated Negro. He made it, in my opinion, he made it seem like that the man brought him up to a certain level to say, see, look, look what we did, but the highly educated person is not really making a difference. There are some, like, for example, ministers that they said um, they separated the churches around that time. They had Methodist, Baptist, and they started separating the denominations. And in that time, the the black minister realized that his congregation, his members, were not that very, were not that smart. So he left them there instead of uplifting. He uplifted them spiritually in the sense of, like, you know, I know times are tough, but you can do it. You know, I, I'm assuming, like, you know, God is here, God is with you, you know, thinking of an afterlife. But he did not help them 
and lift them now. He was taking their money, and he's driving the Cadillac. Like nowadays, the, the pastors are driving the Cadillacs in the nice suits, and the poor people, the middle class, lower class people are contributing to his his um, institution, but the people are not changing. They're not progressing. So he seen, it seemed like he's saying the highly educated person is not really educated. They're not really promoting the group, the Negro. Right. Well, one of the things that um, stuck out in my mind was that he talked about that the so-called Negro is interested in learning about everybody but himself. He learned about the European because I realized when I was in college that I was being fed basically a Eurocentric program. Mm-hmm. Um, I was taking psychology, and um, when it comes down to the you know the creators of psychology, when I was going through the book, everybody was pretty much a white man. The first minority, quote-unquote, that I met was a woman. And then I think I saw a black person, like, somewhere in the middle of the book. So it got me started wondering, like, you know, who are we and what have we done? And he talked about basically back in the day, especially when, when he was doing his work, that the black man in his history was talked about in, in an after effect, you know, like basically the history of the black man in America started with slavery and in a lower status. But after reading the book the first time, one of the things that shocked me was that when I went out into the field, I saw that a lot of the local businesses were run by foreigners, you know, like everybody but the black man. And when I went to the uh, flea market especially, Every booth was ran by some foreign. When I mean foreign, I'm talking about not even Hispanic, like not the Cubans that you would expect to run into. You're finding like Asians, you know? Yeah, Asians, Indians, like where do you guys live, you know? And that's basically something that was really stark. And the people that are washing the windows and doing like menial jobs were the stereotypical black people with gold teeth with pants hanging down their butt. And it's kind of like, you know, that slave mentality um, and people are not enterprising, and we don't trust each other. You know, as as a Haitian person, I can tell you that, uh, unfortunately, that a lot of Haitians don't like to work with other Haitians because um, of this slave mentality, and, and people don't know where it's from. People don't discuss it. And uh, Carter G. Woodson's work is, is very, very important in understanding these things. Uh, I personally think that we need to talk about this more than anything. Uh, would you agree on that? Yes, and we need like an hour more of airtime to cover <laughs> all the aspects, more aspects. Well, we're going to expand uh, in the near future to an hour. Uh, so, what what other points would you like? Do you remember from the book that you want to tell the viewers or the listeners? Um, just like what you said before, like I, I was thinking back with the Haitian culture, that as Black people we don't have confidence in our own in our own. Um, in our own business, you know, we belittle our own. We say that they're thieves or they're not going to make it. They don't have the, the smarts to to um, continue uh, a business. And the sad thing is it's um, when we see some black businesses fail or some, for example, some Haitian restaurants fail, it kind of um, reinforces that thought, you know, and, it, and it, it's a bad thing because it makes you think, like, well, it's true. Black people can't, or Haitian people can't own a business. Look, it, it falls to crumbles. We have to go to the white place, the white restaurant, and they, or the white restaurant who will sell Haitian food. That's even worse. And you go there instead, instead of going to our own and support our own businesses. I, I think that's a good point. Even my last trip to Haiti, I remember going to one of the better supermarkets in the middle of Port-au-Prince, and guess who was running 
the show, I saw Dominicans mm-hmm. in the heart of, of Haiti. And, and if you know, I mean, Haitians, I mean, in Haiti are suffering with some of these same issues. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to use the word of the day, ersatz. In other words, they're suffering from an ersatz of education, which is a substitute. You know, we have a type of education, but it's it's the the, the jaded. It's it's jaded. It's it's given to not succeed. It doesn't foster cooperation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't foster a type of awareness. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks about leadership. He says that basically we need to like talk less and do more. Yeah, I agree. We need to like uh, do a whole lot more because there's a lot of work that needs to be done, uh, but we're not realizing that. I mean, he 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 talks about certain institutions. One of the big ones that you know I'm all over and I talk about a lot is the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, back back in the day and probably still today, the church is a one of the main centers for you know that blacks congregate and they get a lot of information from. Well, if the pastor is dumb himself, what is he gonna what is he gonna do? What he what he masters is emotional appeal and, in my opinion manipulation. But yeah, like a kind of like a counselor. Kind of like a counselor, but you know, according to Carter G. Woodson and what we've observed, you know, is the art is the the community getting better because of the information that they're getting? Not at all. I would say not at all because they have they have their little um, schools, right? But they're they're if they're teaching bad education that they themselves receive, and like I said, most people have never read the book, so they don't even understand that they might be slaves mentally, mm-hmm. that they that they will make back doors. You know, like when you tell them that, it's kind of like, what? They might get offended, so on and so forth. So if they don't understand that they've been fed bad education, how are they going to, you know, help out the lesser people? And so the other group that um, Carter Jewison addressed um, was the talented 10%. Can you tell us a little bit more who these people are? Uh, I would have to... You don't remember? Basically, basically, the talented 10% are people who do well for themselves, who uh, get the traditional degrees, you know, in like some like uh, art or like being a doctor, lawyer, whatever the case is. And he challenges these people, says, you know, these people might have somewhat of a good education. And then when these people, some of them try to go back to the black community and say, hey, you know, I've learned something I'm trying to share with you. A lot of times these people are... are are frustrated because they're trying to teach the black man that, you know, he needs to do better. He needs to get out of this losing mind state. And he gets rejected. And so what the town 10% does is they stick together or they move out of the black community. And so the black community lose, loses an asset, right? So, so whatever leadership we do have, is kind of scared away because they're so frustrated because the mindset of the people is, is just tough. There's so much work to be done. Right, there's so much work to be done. Uh, so it's like, if if you had to say, well, where do we start? Like, what would be the first thing that you think we would need to address if we were part of the talented 10%, as Carter Woodson describes it? For me, my point of view is all about education, and mine is all about education, that educating the young people. You have to start off first with your kids, start off with your family, and then spread out from there. I think it's really important to just be educated. We have to start from scratch, start from the bottom and work our way up. We have to be advocates of our own people. We have to support each other. Okay, but um, what is 
you know, he talks about miseducation. So there's a type of education that's obviously not good for us, but, like, how do we know we're, if we're teaching the right things? That's a good question. How do we know we're teaching the right things? Right, because he talks about bad education. He talks about how even the lawyers of the Negroes and some of the so-called leaders were basically helping promote the ideas that have us in this predicament in the first place because, you know, like he said, we're getting the information from the so-called white man. And he, he says in the book that even the education that the white man, white man is getting is not the best for him, you know. And basically we're, we as a people are in a dependent state. We depend on the white man. We don't have a value in the world community. When people think of black people, they don't think of anything positive. They don't think of us as having historical Importance. They don't see us as being contributors. Right. That um, I think the beginning would be uh, educating, educating our children and teaching them self-awareness, self-appreciation, self-love. And you know, I like the idea of the African American school. That school, the bookstore you talked about. Right. Um, it starts. That would be a good start. Homeschool. Not really home. You can homeschool your kids, but a lot of parents have to work. So you start off at home by teaching your children, you know, basically self-love. Teach them some facts about, you know, African history. Start from there because we've been miseducated in the sense that, like, we have no self-worth. We need to be reprogrammed that we do, and to whatever ideas we have, we have to, like, uplift that, you know, promote it, starting with the kids. Whatever ideas they have, don't say they can't do it kind of give them a push for the positive and give them a self-awareness and a self-understanding of who they are and in a positive way and to show them that we are not, like, negative. It's not a negative thing. If the book is probably going to be banned in the current public system, like, how are we going to get the message out there? Facebook, YouTube, word of mouth. Word of mouth is the best thing ever. You tell one to tell one to tell one, and, it, and you know, it's a domino effect from there. That's a start. Uh, I, we should do like the chick tracks. Start dropping <laughs> this education, like dropping in 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 a bus. Leave it there. Somebody will pick it up. Drop another one somewhere. We you know. So so we gotta like evangelize this. I, it's a start. I don't see why not. I don't see why not either. Like I I feel like today, given the like we're doing a show and it's for free. Right, and we're not like um, educated doctors or whatever the case is, and people can listen to this essentially for free. So there has to be a motivation. What's going to take for the people to be motivated to realize that they need some change? What is it going to take? Yeah, I mean there has to be some motivation. I mean, sometimes you know you realize something's wrong with you, but like man, <laughs> you know you're so used to being poor and. Mm-hmm. Just some uplifting words can help. I mean, you're going to have to bring up a few points, you know, come off strong to get their attention and then, you know, have them listen from there. If anybody out there has contacts with Oprah, let us know because <laughs> I would be glad to go on Oprah's show, you know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, he, she, she has a lot of a power, for example, a lot of influence. Like you said earlier, um, as we have about two minutes left, folks, if if you guys have contacts, let us know. We'll, we'll have people on our show, uh, and we can set something up. But this is a very, very important message because, I mean, I, I highly recommend the book, obviously, because uh, we're talking about it. But we have to emphasize the 
the immediacy, the danger, the relevance of this uh, timely topic because until you read the book, you will not fully appreciate the status that we're in as far as, like, the black people. And I think, like, other races because this is a a, a deep-rooted issue that could take, uh, you know, generations to fix because it took generations to set in. Yeah. So that was our show on the miseducation of the Negro. Thanks to Valerie, the time went by like that, and she wants a longer period. And so I'm encouraging all the callers out there, all the viewers, all the listeners, to go ahead and uh, check out our show. And as we build a, a ground base, we're going to, we're going to uh, expand our format and go to an hour and so on and so forth. Uh, our next show is probably going to have a guest. We're still working it out, but uh, stay tuned to the Paragon Hour. And I want to thank Valerie for joining me. Thank you, Valerie. You're welcome. All right. So this has been the Paragon Hour, which is actually 30 minutes right now. But join us next time. We're going to have some special guests for you. Again, this has been Paragon, and this has been a book review of Carter G. Woodson, The Miseducation of the Negro. Thank you, and have a great day.